welcome to a recording of a short Bible-based talk from Hope Church Worcester. If you're in the area and you'd like to visit us, we would love to see you. We meet in our building called the Granary, which is located in the centre of Worcester. If you prayed, I know some of you will know I've been to Uganda for a couple of weeks. Thanks for praying, that went uh, really well. I'll try and put some Facebook um, pictures up on our our site so you can have a look. So a week celebrating 30 years of their, their ministry and the education and the hospital and the church planting. They have 180 churches now. Uh, I looked at the build, the, they put a picture up of the first ever meeting place and you'd be hesitant to put a couple of cows in it in case it fell down. Uh, so God has been very good and it was a real joy to be there with them. I've, I've not been for three years, so I really, I've got some dear friends there and it was just lovely. Emmanuel and others send their love to uh, us here. Very grateful for the help we gave during those COVID times as well. So we did that for a week and then a week with their, their um, apostolic team, their senior team, their ministry elders, I think they call them, and some younger leaders talking about how they will move forward as some are getting older, uh, looking for younger uh, guys and women to take up responsibilities. So um, Gordon joined me from here and uh, it was fun to work together on that as well. So anyway, let's look at the scriptures together. Uh, this has been what seems like an everlasting uh, series, um, but uh, on uh, God, God explaining who he is really to Moses. So Exodus 34, we'll start in uh, verse uh, 5. Lots of people have ideas about God. Have you found that? You've got to say, well, I prefer to think of God as. Have you heard people saying that? You think God doesn't care what you prefer to think him as. He is who he is. And uh, uh, Chris Martin famously said, I couldn't believe in a God who would want me to only be married for one woman for life. And you think, well, it doesn't really matter what you prefer to think of God as. God is as he is. So when we, when we kind of prefer to think of God as, we've got to be careful because really that's kind of idolatry, isn't it? It's kind of making God how, you, how you'd like him to be rather than actually looking at who the Bible says he is. And here we've got not just what somebody's uh, experience of God was, but God himself proclaiming his name or his character. So Exodus 34 And verse 5, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, his character, the Lord. This great self-existent, always the same God. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And we've looked at that. Slow to anger, we looked at that. Literally in Hebrew it means long-nostrilled which is really graphic, you know, an animal that gets angry is all, and his nostrils broaden. But God literally, very graphic language, Hebrew, he's long nostrils, he's, he's patient, he's so long-suffering, uh, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed down at once and worshipped. So we'll, we'll finish there. And um, we're particularly looking uh, this morning to finish this little um, mini series off at uh, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and sin, wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet 
He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And then this very strange bit, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, it's really tempting to to rush with slightly puzzled, even angry questions to the last bit, isn't it? If God is really all the former things, if he's really compassionate, if he's really gracious, if he's really loving and forgiving, how come he's got a downer on the kids for their parents' sin? That kind of doesn't seem right. So I want us to kind of back up, not pretend that bit isn't there, because that's doing exactly what I said at the beginning we shouldn't do. Not not pretending that bit's not there, but working our way towards it. And and we've got to start with, we shouldn't pick and choose scriptures. We kind of like doing that, don't we? But Jesus took the Bible very, very seriously. In fact, he said he'd come to fulfill the law. He was the end of the law. He was what the law was totally pointing towards. So part of our submission to Jesus is submitting ourselves to the scriptures that that he believed. That's part of the package of being a Bible-believing Christian is we do that because we believe in Jesus. We've We've given him the right to be Lord. And if we start picking and choosing bits of the Bible that fit with our 20th century Western views, we end up with a God entirely of our own construction. Bits, it's kind of Woolworths pick and mix for those who remember Woolworths. Uh, If we start, but we actually, if we start seeking and submitting to the God of the Bible, we actually find he's far bigger and far better than we imagined him to be. So that's just by way of introduction. But it starts off, he's maintaining love to thousands. And the word love is a Hebrew word, hesed, which means loving kindness. You see it all through the, uh, the Bible. If you get one of the authorised version, you'll find loving kindness, loving kindness, all through the Psalms, all through the scriptures, sometimes translated steadfast love. I mean, not just a kind of a whim or emotion. Oh, I I really love key lime pie. It's not that kind of passing fancy. It's not even, oh, I really love that girl. Oh, here's another one. No, it's not that kind of thing. It's it's covenant committed love. And the previous verse says he abounds in that kind of love. He's kind of overflowing with faithful covenant love. And here it says God is God is maintaining love. He's uh, literally, it's kind of military word, he's he's protecting and guarding that love. It's it's picturing God as a kind of God who loves and then stands like a sentry guarding that love. It's not a love that can easily be knocked off course. It's not a love that's fickle or or passing. He, He stands guard to protect that love relationship. He wants to preserve it. He really wants us to understand his commitment to us. Isn't that wonderful? God loves the world. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, and he stands guard over that love. He wants to protect his love relationship with anyone that's committed themselves to him. He loves his people, and he wants to protect that love relationship. Sometimes the psalmist actually prayed this truth back to God. Psalm 40, verse 11, uh, the psalmist prays, may your love and faithfulness always protect me. What's he doing? He's praying God's character back to God. <laughs> God, you're like this, so be like that to me. That's great, isn't it? God is faithful, so he prays faithfulness. God's merciful, so we pray for his mercy. He's praying the character of God. 
And God wants us to understand his commitment to you. He wants us this morning to know God is committed to love me. Some of us find that kind of puzzling because we know ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we know we're not, we're not that lovable. Oh, you're looking shocked. Uh, you've not looked inside yourself for a while, obviously. No, no it's, it's amazing that God, is, that God loves me, that God loves you. Turn to your neighbour and say, isn't it surprising that God loves me? <laughs> you thought it was going to be you, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a surprise. But God, God not only loves you, but he stands God. He wants to protect that love relationship. But it's not just you. It's not just the person sitting next to you. It says he, he maintains his love to thousands. And thousand was kind of the, the biggest number. It's not even quite clear whether they knew what a thousand was back in that, that day. Thousand is also the same Hebrew word for, for, for a regiment. He, he, he maintains his love for regiments of people, countless people. It's not a fickle, distracted love. It's, it's not determined by how you're doing this week or what you feel. It's an armour-plated love, not just for a few favourites, but kind of limitless. We can't count his faithful love that he's standing guard over. And then, then he goes on to say, that's how God is. He's got this amazing, superabounding, armour-plated, military-type love for thousands and thousands. And then it says, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So, oh, that's a bit of a downer. But what a wonderful God. It's a good job he does, else where would we be? No, he forgives wickedness. Forgiveness, some people think forgiveness is kind of like a New Testament thing. That, that God in the Old Testament was kind of mean, arbitrary, ready to give you a bonk. <laughs> like a kind of punch and Judy God. And, and then he somehow mellowed over the years and then sent Jesus to show how nice he'd become. You know, that, that's, that's, not, that's not right. That's not right. No, God's always been forgiving. He's always been just and holy as well. And he still is, both. But, but, but no, he says this, he's forgiving wickedness, rebellion and, and sin. It's, it's, um, it's another Hebrew word. Forgive literally means to carry away. It's, it's a picture of, you know, you, you got some rubble from the work party yesterday. You put it in a bag, you put it on your shoulder and you carry it away. Put it in a skip somewhere. That's, that's the kind of picture. It's a huge Old Testament signpost pointing towards Jesus, who's, who's to come, the God who's come in the flesh to show us what God is really like. Do you remember how when they were taking Jesus out to crucify him, they put the cross on his shoulders and, and he struggled to bear it? And it's as if, it, it's as if Jesus took the sin of the world onto his own shoulders and takes it away for those who trust in him. Do you remember John the Baptist, John 1 verse 29 says, look, there's a lamb of God who carries away, takes away the sin of the world. That's our God. He takes away wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Wickedness is a kind of catch-all phrase for any bad behavior. It's a kind of catch-all phrase, wickedness. You know that time where you, you, you overstayed your parking time and you, you felt a bit guilty, but you jumped in your car and drove off quick. You know, li little, little kind of things like that. Or, or someone said to me recently, I was talking to him about speed limits and I said, you know, I don't tend to notice them. Is that, 
That kind of, that kind of wickedness when you think, oh, I thought it was 14, I've just realised it's 30. That, that kind of thing. Or a bit, getting a bit more serious, you kind of didn't quite tell the truth on your tax form or you lost your temper with someone in the, in the family. Up to big things like robbing, robbing a shop or taking someone's life. It's all wickedness. God forgives all of those from the little to the big. He's inclined, that's his character. He's inclined to forgive wickedness. What about rebellion? Rebellion means to break a known law. It's a courtroom world. We, you know, when you know what God and goodness requires, but you still say, well, I'm going to do what I want anyway. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, that kind of, blow it, I'm going to do it. Tastes good, going to do it. Feels good, going to do it. That kind of, so there's wickedness, which is a catch or rebellion when you, when you really know in your knower. I don't know where your conscience is located exactly. Somewhere between there and there, I think. But, but, but you just know it's wrong, but it's, I'm going to do it because I want to. No one's looking. That kind, of, that kind of feel. And then there's sin. Sin is a great word. It's a kind of archery word where, where you miss the mark. You, you know you ought to be there, but you, you just miss it. You might have even said, oh, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And then you think, oh, blow I've done it again. It's that, that kind of word. We fall short. We, we miss the mark. And that's all of us, isn't it? We all, we all mess up, if you like. There are, there are other Bible words as well. Transgression. Ever, ever heard of that? Transgression means to step over. They're all good picture words. To step over the boundary. What, I, I must confess, they don't do so many of them now, thank goodness. But National Trust always used to have those little signs saying, don't walk on the grass. I hate those signs. This is something perverse in me that as soon as I see those signs, I think that'd be a great lawn for five-a-side football. There's, some, there's something perverse kind of inside me. That, that, you know, when God says stop, and we think, no. That, that feeling, you're at a party and you think, I shouldn't have another drink. But guess what? That, that's, that's transgression. You go beyond where you should. You step over. And then there's crookedness, which is, which is what's going on inside me when I see that keep off the grass sign really there's there's something in me that 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 starts off there like a bowling ball and and kind of ends up somewhere else that, that kind of and, and you sometimes think oh what's wrong with me iniquity they're, they're, they're all bible words and the good news is he takes them away he carries the responsibility and the consequences upon himself aren't you pleased that's that's the good news of jesus that he takes away those things when we come to him and say god I, I missed a mess up, miss or missus. I, 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 I've failed you, I've sinned, I've done wrong. Forgive me. I'm trusting that all of that was carried away by Jesus on the cross and I give my life to you. And he does. Isn't that amazing? But, but notice it's not just that God forgives. It's not like he has the occasional... Uh, okay, I had uh, John, John Davidson, some of you know him, some of you don't. He, he wandered into the Vatican and got an accident, accidental indulgence. Nice, eh? But it's not just like, well, this is the day. <laughs> We're not Roman Catholic, but he, he, it's, not, it's, not just, it's not just the occasional day when God's in a good mood and says, all oh, right then, I'll forgive. No, it's in his nature. He is forgiving. It flows from who he is. It's part of his character. How wonderful. How reassuring. How praise-inducing. What a wonderful God we're worshipping this morning. What a wonderful God we're giving out invites so that other people can get to know this wonderful God.
God. Now, now, now we're ready to start looking at the other side of it. Because all of that doesn't mean that God is casual about wrong. It doesn't mean that he's careless or, or slack or easygoing about sin. Not at all, because he goes on to say, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. The ESV says he will by no means clear the guilty. So we've got this thing. God is forgiving by nature, but at the same time, he's also just. You might use the word fair. He's just. He doesn't, in other words, he doesn't let guilty off the hook. He's provided a way of forgiveness for all those things, but he doesn't let guilty off the hook. Of course, there are people who just deny sinfulness and therefore they don't want forgiveness. Western society denies the whole biblical idea that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's old fashioned, isn't it? Surely all we've got to do is authenticate ourselves, whatever that means. Basically, it means you do what you want. Whatever, feels you, whatever makes you feel good, do it. No, 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 no. See, people that just think life is all about doing what you fancy, whatever makes you feel good, don't ever come for forgiveness because they don't recognise they've done anything wrong. I'm just, just enjoying being here. If, if you refuse to admit sin, then you, you, you never receive forgiveness. Of course, a, a few other people are so hardened well, they just know they've messed up, they just don't care. That's another problem. But you see, the point is God can't turn a blind eye to our sins. That's the whole story and dilemma of the Bible. He, what, he's forgiving of sins and wickedness and so on, but he's too, ju too just, too fair to let the unrighteous off the hook. So how, how do we do, how do we handle this? Well, firstly, Let's just, let's just remind ourselves, God's justice is a good thing. God's justice is a really good thing. You see, God's end goal is a world with no evil, no mourning, no crying, no death, no injustice. And it's not that God is vindictive, he's responsive, he's sensitive. If we turn to him, he responds and forgives. If we don't turn, at some point he responds with justice. So the fault is not with God, the choice is with us. Do you, do you see? The choice is with us. If we turn to him, he's abounding in love, he forgives wickedness and unrighteousness, etc., etc. If we don't, at some point, justice will come into play. It's, it's kind of our choice. It's how we respond. And justice actually answers our deepest longings. Even though it's a scary verse. It's our deepest longings. Don't you, don't you want to one day live in a world with no slave labour? I, I, I do. Don't you want to live in a world where there's no dictatorships? I, I, I really do. Don't, don't you want to live in a world where you can walk down the street and be safe at night? Yeah, I do. I want to live in a world where there's no ethnic cleansing. I, I, I do. Where there's no suicide bombings, no abuse, no stabbings. No thieving, no sex trafficking, no lying, no cheating. I, I'm longing for, I, you know, I, I get fed up with this world quite honestly. Beam me up, Lord. I, I, I'm looking forward to living in a world like that. And one day as believers in Jesus, we will live in that, that kind of world. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness, where God lives amongst us. I can't wait. It's going to be brilliant. What? How will that happen? It will happen because God is just. 
He'll judge unrighteousness and it will be ended one day. So if we've, if we've trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, we don't need to fear his justice. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear any of those things because it's been dealt with by the cross of Jesus. And we can look forward to Jesus returning and the end of all evil, justice established in heaven and earth. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Some, I can see some people here are, ooh, I'm ripening up for glory. <laughs> Other people are a bit, what? <laughs> That's okay. But then, then comes the tricky bit. We got to it at last. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents. What's that? What's that mean? Well, firstly, let's just say, it's a bit teachy this, sorry, but it's important. It, it can't just, you can't just take it simply and I say that because Moses says exactly the opposite in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. He says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, or vice versa. Each will die for their own sin. In other words, there's personal responsibility. And, and you have to go to Jeremiah, who, who Jeremiah provides a commentary on these verses, and kind of puts a balanced view of them, if you like. Jeremiah 32, 18 and 19, he says, Lord, you show love to thousands, but you bring punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children. You, and you reward each person according to their conduct. You see, he's combining both. You reward each person for what they've done, but when the parents get punished, it affects the children. It falls into their laps. What, what does that mean? Well, parents' sin affects their children's future. It falls into their laps. And Jeremiah is actually talking to a generation of kids who would grow up far away from the promised land in Babylon, in a pagan country. Why? Because of their parents' sin. Now, it's the parents' responsibility. They got punished, but that's kind of, they live with the consequences of what their parents have done. And some of us know what that's like. Our parents were like this. We're living with the consequences, and it's tough. But God cleanses us. It doesn't have to continue. Our kids, if you're always bickering, what does it do to your kids? Makes them kind of insecure and jumpy. If I ended up in prison for, I don't know, nicking stuff from the Asda's, my family and my wife and the kids would suffer. Do you see? Do you see? So, so parents' sin affects the children's future. Sometimes children are affected by sin in that they're kind of discipled into being like their parents. You kind of, well, I grew up with a dad like that and I kind of thought it was normal. And then, and then as you go along, you think, oh, no, I'm not, I need to get some prayer. That's kind of not normal. Really, that's, that's how it was. So one's generation's sin can become the next generation's sin. It's like apple doesn't fall far from the tree kind of scenario. You, you understand? No, God, God can break all that, but that's kind of how it is. And God keeps on generation after generation forgiving sin and wickedness or, bet, or, or the sins of the fathers falling into the laps of the children until at last it's done away with. And then it finishes to the third and fourth generation. And I looked it up and the word generation isn't even in, there in the Hebrew. Uh, so, so it's almost a kind of couplet there in the, in the scriptures. It's maintaining love to thousands, punishing the children to the third and fourth. 
Can, I don't know if you can imagine the scale, what he's saying. He's saying there's mercy on one side, mercy and forgiveness on one side, justice on the other. But they're kind of unbalanced, praise God. He's saying, he's saying there's love to thousands, troops and troops and troops, but there's justice, third and fourth. Do you see? The, 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 he's not saying God is not just, he's perfectly just, but he's saying the mercy of God and the justice of God are both true, but praise God, they're kind of unbalanced. They're kind of unbalanced because God is weighted to the side of mercy. And I'm so pleased, <laughs> I'm so relieved, I'm so delighted. God, God's not mocked, the Bible says. Don't, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. There's a consequence for our willful sins. It can affect our kids, it can affect other people, to the, to the power of three or four. But he maintains love and forgiveness to the power of thousands. So that's our God. I'm, I'm in awe of him. He's not, he's not a play God. Do you remember in the uh, story of um, Through the Water, what was it called? C.S. Lewis one, about Aslan, who is a picture of Jesus. And Lucy says, sorry? Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Thank you, Josephine. Yeah, he says, Aslan, he's not a tame lion. God, God's not a domesticated God. He's not a God we come along, sing a few songs to, then he's happy for another week. <laughs> God's not like that. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's holy. He's utterly just. So don't, if, you, if you're sinning your head off, stop it. Stop it. Because your sins will have their consequences, not just for you, but for many other people, to the third and four. But his mercy, if we turn to him, is to the power of thousands. So maybe some of us this morning need to receive forgiveness. Come before a holy God and say, God, cleanse me, cleanse me, forgive me. Maybe some of us need to just then just say, God, I just want to bask in your loving kindness. Thank you. Thank you that you've been so merciful. You forgive my wickedness, my transgression, my crookedness, my all those other graphic words. I renounce my sin and I bask in your loving kindness. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to a new world <laughs> one day, the home of righteousness. So, you know, we, we're, we're so blessed. The Bible says we bear his name. Isn't that good? So we represent justice and fairness to people, but also mercy, grace, kindness, over, uh, uh, overwhelming love. Praise God. We, we, um, some of us were having a meal with some pastors this week in the pub over the road, and, um, and uh, the wait, waitress, I don't know if she spoke to Josephine or, or who she spoke to, she, she, she just said, uh, she came to me and she said, oh, I made a bit of a mess of one of the orders. Um, Maybe I shouldn't charge you. And I said, well, well, we'll pay for what we've eaten. It seemed fair to me. And uh, she, she just, her mouth dropped open. She, she couldn't believe people were so nice. <laughs> it was nothing special, just a group of Christians. And then, and then at the end, I don't, she hasn't appeared this morning, but she said, you know, I've been meaning to come back to church. There's something about you people. Maybe I'll come back to your church. Well, why is that? Well, it's nothing special about us, just we carry the name. Carry kindness, carry mercy, carry justice and fairness. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this.
amazing passage. Thank you that though you're completely just, completely fair, thank you that though the hard reality is sometimes our sins rebound onto others and to the third and fourth people are affected by what we do wrong. But we thank you that you're inclined to forgiveness, to mercy, to grace, to love. So we come before you not having any righteousness of our own. But thank you for that that you give us through Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness, for forgiveness. Thank you that you accept us as your children. Lord, we don't want to be messing about with wrong things. We turn away from sin. We place our trust in Jesus all over again. Thank you for your cleansing. We pray that you, we would represent your kindness and your grace to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk. Further information about Hope Church can be found at www.hope-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening.